Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I think the lessons really learned from that is that it's never the end. So no matter whatever you think that the, the mission or, or your task in life is finished, there's always something more. Hi there, everyone. I'm your host, Bram Connolly, and this is my podcast. Each week, I tackle a theory, unpack a skill, or answer questions on the themes of leadership, resilience, or human optimization. Being a modern warrior is all about self-development and mastery. Leadership requires knowledge. Resilience is developed through adversity. Optimization is reached through research. My mission is simple, to make you understand the following, that you are your greatest mission. So this then is the Warrior You podcast, a podcast devoted to the warrior within and the physical warrior you were born to be. Join me on this path and together we'll learn more about leadership, resiliency and human optimization. I promise. Before we get right into it, I have some housekeeping that I have to do. Firstly, I want to let you know about the live podcast recording that we are doing on the 6th of December in Sydney. It's the day after the Jocko Willick Echelon Front Muster. Tickets are $65 a head. It's going to be a panel of guests and the audience will be able to ask their questions of us. We're going to talk about leadership, mental toughness and of course optimization. Check out the Warrior U Facebook page for the event details or go to warrior.com.au and sign up for the newsletter. This week, my main sponsor, as always, is Aussie Strength. There are some big announcements coming from Aussie Strength in the next few months. Some really exciting new equipment and fitness-related products are on the production line. They do huge gym fit-outs as well as have all the equipment you need to develop your own home gym. Their research and development is second to none, and they're always looking for better ways to do things. They have a dedicated Warrior U page on their Aussie Strength website too, so go check it out for amazing deals on tactical weight training equipment www.aussiestrength.com.au forward slash warrioru forward slash and my newest sponsor Ironside Coffee they do more than just coffee they also have giant wooden Australian flags hoodies, hats and of course tea and coffee they've got a coffee van too it's in Canberra and they'll rock up to your place of work if you book it in I'm super honoured to be part of their marketing strategy and I really want this business to grow so please help me help them and to do that you have to drink more coffee Go to their website and use the code WARRIORU for 10% off. And lastly, just a reminder about the Warrior U course for those looking to prepare themselves for military service. Go check it out, www.warrioru.com.au. The course covers the cultural aspects of the ADF, equipment, navigation, survival and fieldcraft. And there's a PT course and there's also the whole preparation course. So there's one of those two courses. And uh, this weekend, anyone who signs up will get a free Warrior U t-shirt. Righto, let's get into it. This week, my guest is Scott Steer. He has founded Veteran Grappling, and they have a grand opening on the 3rd of August. Uh, Scott is a Special Forces Direct Recruiting Scheme guy, joined in January 2005, did most of the reinforcement cycle before he was injured on the amphibious operations course. He was then posted to the 6th Battalion. He did RDF 2006-2007, in Afghanistan, and also he did the um, Iraq gig 2007-2008. He discharged in 2010. Uh, we discuss a lot of stuff, um, judo, the army and leadership, resilience, combat mindset, just the usual stuff, optimization, And also we talked all about his time as uh, the judo national champion in 1996 and what that sort of uh, journey was like for him and then him moving into chasing after the special forces direct recruiting scheme as uh, a way to continue on that high performance um, glide path that he was on we talk about veteran grappling and as i said they have their grand opening 3rd of august on the gold coast righto let's get into it happy birthday is that 39 39 yeah there you go you made you it go. you nearly made it <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah scott steer welcome to the where are you podcast? Is this your first podcast? Uh, yeah, first one this year. I've, I've done a couple last year, but yeah. Oh, so you're not. So, um, thanks for the invite. So you're not nervous then? Nah, 
No. Okay, sweet. <laughs> hey, so we're going to talk about um, veteran grappling this morning, amongst other sure. things, which I know the grand opening is on the 3rd of August. Before we get on to, you know, all things judo and jiu-jitsu and grappling and, and all that sort of stuff, um, why don't you give us a bit of a heads up of your, of your military career? Yeah, okay. So um, my grandfather was a pilot in World War Two. So um, uh, I come to a stage in my life where I was thinking I need to change of direction and, and I always envisaged to be a pilot when I was a kid. Um, so I actually applied to be a chopper pilot and um, in the Army. And then when I went up and done all the testing, uh, it came down that I'd uh, chose the wrong maths in year 12 to do. Uh, there was three in Victoria and I picked the one that they didn't want. They wanted one of the other two. So they told me I could either get a TAFE and, and um, do one of those courses and then come back or I could choose something else. And um, they gave me a big long list of stuff to look at and um, living down near Phillip Island in Victoria, uh, two hours to get home and then sat down later on that night and had a bit of a look at the list and um, – come across the um, direct entry for special forces and that sort of grabbed my attention and um, yeah, put, put it in for that. And before I knew it, I was on the bus and on the way to Kapuka. So and what was the process? What was the process for special forces direct recruiting back in 2005? Um, Five. Yeah. So I started the process in 2004 around um, Melbourne cup day. Um, went in, uh, set a whole heap of psychological tests and aptitude tests were, were meant to be high aptitude and, and fitness levels, um, taking us off the street. And yeah, um, before I knew it, uh, fitness tests and everything was, was reasonably simple, I thought, at that stage. Um, but then again, it was only entry. Uh, then I had from November through to uh, January to, to prepare. So they gave us a, um, a bit of a platform um, of what to expect. So most of us went out and, and pushed really hard and trained really hard. And then we, we got to Kapuka and um, we pretty much all lost our fitness because <laughs> we were just practicing on marching and mining uniforms and stuff like that. So um, luckily we got pushed through that pretty quickly at about six weeks, I think. And then, um, yeah, straight from there to, to Singo and infantry and, advanced infantry training which we we did over i think about it was about two or three months period which was really good um pretty much give us a taste of what to expect in the rio cycle and um yeah a bit of mentoring by by some of the staff so it was quite good um i thought that was a great program brought us up to speed really quick and, and then yeah the end of four and four hour be, was then before we get into that to be to be fair you know, you, you were what I would classify back in the day as um, an exemplary Australian. You were, you know, you were the, what, judo national champion in 1996. So it's not like you weren't, Yeah. it's not like you were coming into yeah. it as without a background in some sort of fitness and strength conditioning. Um, yeah. And, and I think people have to understand that if they're going to do special forces, direct recruiting, they have to understand that's the sort of person you're going to be up against, you know, the judo national champion yeah. or the, you know, the king's, the the, the the King's College or the Hale or the Hale School, you know, rowing captain or the rugby captain, yeah, yeah you know, some they're all incredible uh, people, aren't they? It was, yeah, exactly. Like we, we had forty five in our group, and we had guys that were um, pharmacists and doctors and um, you know, um, AFL players and um, you know, Australian swim team champions and. Um, so we had a really big cross cross range and we even had um, a US Ranger who had spent 20 years, he was a staff sergeant in the US Rangers, he married an Australian cop and come out here and he come through the, the program as well. So it was, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting um, seeing guys come from all different professional backgrounds. I mean, we even had a, I think he worked for the government as a, um, computer hacker for for the government for a fair few years so we had a really broad range it was it was really good we all brought our own little bits and pieces and our group was quite close for the majority of the of the program it was yeah really good how did you find well being in. how did you find the shocker capture at kapuka initially 
Um, for me, it wasn't so bad because I'd had a mate go through probably about six months earlier um, as a combat engineer. He, he was a chippy. Um, so he sort of gave me a heads up of what to expect. And then my old judo coach that I've had since the age of six, he was a Vietnam veteran, um, X2 RAR. So he, um, he sort of knew what to expect and helped me out with the training, sort of preparing for that as well. A bit of military life. So it was, it was a pretty easy transition for me. Just give him a shout out. That's Michael Shields, right? Yeah, Michael Shields, yeah. yeah no, we'll get to see him next week. Yeah, cool. And, I mean, that's one of the things that we look at with the Warrior U program is that that whole mentoring piece, that really can um, frame it in the mind's eye so when you get there, the shocker capture is nullified. Um, we find that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the advanced, yeah. the advanced infantry training after, after you've done um, initial employment training, which is the infantry training, then you go on and do advanced infantry training, and that's run by... That's actually run by the Special Forces Training Centre. Um, yeah. How, how'd you find that? Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I, that's the part I was looking forward to the most, um, getting into the nitty-gritty. That's, I mean, that's what we joined for. So um, it was intense. It was not a lot of sleep during that, that period of time, which is part of the job. Um, but, yeah, learning the tactics and the, and the weapons and um, – did a lot of urban operations stuff, yeah. which was which was good because um, obviously being at the School of Infantry, you, you concentrate on the bush sort of tactics and techniques. And, um, yeah, so we start doing urban and escaping of evasion and a bit of uh, interrogation, that sort of stuff. That was that was good. good what, fun. And how did you find the, how'd you find the commando selection and training course? What, what do you remember from that? What don't you remember? <laughs> Jeez, well, it's nearly 15 years ago now. Yeah, right. um, Hell Week, oh, you can never forget Hell Week. Um, Demarcation. Yeah, yeah, good times. <laughs> Don't want to hear that word again. again. Yeah, think you think you're knocked off for the day, and um, I think the lessons really learned from that is that it's never the end. Um, so no matter whatever you think that the the mission or or your task in life is finished, there's always something more yeah. that you're going to be prepared for. Yeah. Um, I think that was the biggest learning curve from from that. Um, was that you know never give up, never think that you're done. There's yeah. always something more you can do. And they and, do um, do that, don't they? They draw them out, and, they, and they it do. looks like it's the end of the task, and then it just rolls into something even harder. But you know yeah. what? What I took from that back back in the day is that back in the day is um, <laughs> <laughs> it. What I took from that myself from from when I did from when I did it in 1990, you know, seven six seven, um, was that life never throws at you more than you can handle. Because if it does, you're dead. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As long as you keep um, going, you, you, yeah. you finish. Yeah. And, you know, people say they they give things in life all they've got. But I think the one real thing with that course is that it really um, makes you aware that you've, you've always got something down deeper that you can um, pull back on when you need it. Yeah. Um, there's always something left in the tank until you um, collapse. <laughs> um, yeah, you've always got something there that you can offer. So, and then you rolled into into four hour commando as it was known back then. Two thousand. That was yep. probably towards the end of two thousand and five. I assume October. Yeah, end of two thousand and five. Yeah. So I was yeah, um, so straight in. I was the yep. Sierra one one that year up in up in Tag East. So um. So I'd be interested to know. Uh, yeah. I'd be interested interested to know what you guys thought of Tag East up there at Luscombe Airfield yeah. back when. Because I, I never saw you, obviously, because I was I was up there squirrelled away. Yeah. What was? What, yeah. Well, funny enough, um, when I rolled in, I remember one of the first days I rolled into the mess there at four. I, I actually ran into two guys that I went to school with. Hmm. Um, one was the Tag. He he was um, on loan from the from the Navy. He was a clearance diver. So um, that was a bit of a spin out because I didn't expect to see him there being, being Navy. And the other one was Brett Wood, obviously. Um, Woody obviously passed on a few years later. But, um, yeah, seeing, seeing Tag rock up at lunchtime every now and then with their overalls and everything on, it was um, a bit of a daunting task, I suppose, for us because that was, that was a pinnacle, really, for, for our boys coming through. Um, we're still getting around with our 
our normal Green Berets and um, seeing the Sherwoods getting around and, and then you guys in your, in your overalls. Yeah, that's that's what we all wanted to be. So that's what was a bit of a – for me, it was more of a um, kind of like inspiration, I suppose, a bit of a kick to, to sort of know what that's the end state. That's what we want to aim for. So, mm. we um, yeah. We came down for lunch one day on the way down to the mess hall. You just reminded me of the story. We came down to lunch and we're in, we're in all our blacked out gear and in, in, in a blacked out Nissan patrol. We're coming from Luscombe back down to four hour. And as we, yep. tu- as we turned the corner, there was a couple of guys up, up the top there of um, the ring road. There was a couple of guys fighting in the bush and oh, really? like, like full on fighting each other. And um, yeah. And then it was just like, it was really weird because it was like the absence of normality and the presence of abnormality, all the things you see <laughs> in a combat situation. So we pulled this Nissan patrol up and three of us get out of this thing. We're in full, full black kit with like body armor and everything. And we yeah. run over and we're like arm barring and choking these two dudes out. <laughs> and then this, and then this guy comes out of the bush with, with his MP beret on. And we, what would have happened is we dri- we'd actually driven past some sort of role-playing training Scenario. that they were doing, and then all these dudes in a black Nissan patrol come in, you know, and I've got this guy in a, like a rear naked joke on the ground. Oh, so funny. Yeah, I wonder what they thought of that. Um, yeah, I, remember, uh, yeah. I remember one day we were leaving, I think we might have had a day off in between courses and we were heading out on the weekend. I think we most of us would go up to Newcastle a few of the boys are from the central coast area and um we went through out the back gate and same thing we didn't realize we were like what the hell was everyone stopping for and then um there was one of the ministers was in a car in front of us and they were doing a as you guys doing a drill about dragging them out and yeah, right. um, getting them to safety types things to that yeah that that was another one that <laughs> made us just come out of the blue. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't the usual army base, that one. Yeah. Good good days back two thousand five. Good times. Um yep. and so what what I know you had an injury and you ended up going to the sixth battalion, but what um what yeah. Rio, what Rio courses did you do on the way prior to getting the hip injury? Um so we would have done uh, weapons, dems, uh, I think we did roping, did urban operations. Um so where'd you hurt your hip? What was that on? On the water course, oh. yeah, water insertion. Um, there was a group of us that were, because the base was getting renovated at that time as well. So we, our accommodation was actually above the gym in the old uh, storerooms. There was about eight of us in a room, eight to ten of us in the room. Um, and then from there, they, they pretty much pulled us aside one day and said, we don't have the facilities to hold you guys here while you're, while you're recovering. So we want to send you to three area. And um, most of it's I, I was it was actually me that started. I, I put my hand up on parade and said, "Do, do we have to go to three? Because a few of us had, had a, a few run-ins with the boys at three. Um, a bit of rivalry, as as you expect there, Holsworthy. So um, uh, they pretty much said, "Well, where else do you want to go?" And and I said, "Well, if I'm going to go anywhere, I'd, I'd like to go to six area." Um, and the reason why that is, like when we went through. Singleton, um, because of the program we're on, they, they pretty much said at any stage, if you want to leave, if you want to go to a different battalion, you can pretty much choose whichever one you want and we'll make sure it happens. Um, and obviously there was a lot of stuff about the Bushmaster vehicles then. Um, so I thought, look, it'd be a good change environment, get away, it'll get me focused. Um, the weather's good up in Brisbane, and it'll get me out on the track. I'll be a bit more. Now we're getting um, to the real. To, we're getting to the real yeah. reason why. Um, got and s- the bushy, obviously, because I thought you know we're going to be. Yeah. If I've got a hip problem, the last thing I want to be doing is jumping out of planes at the moment. I probably want to be sitting around in a bushmaster, yeah. um, giving that time to heal. And so. they are amazing, man. I've yeah, got- they're great. Considering they're like where they were built here in Australia and everything, we were, we were lucky to go through the factory when I was there and yeah. like whenever, you can see why. Whenever anyone asks me about the best thing that's ever come out of the army, I always say the Bushmaster. Honestly. Yeah. Unbelievable bit of kit. I mean, we we went to, when we got to Afghan, we were working with the Dutch a lot and they they were in love with them when we first got there and they, they wanted to swap us a couple for um for one of their Panzers because they got an extra Panzer in their package and um 
we were like, I think that's a win-win for both Australia and the Dutch. But um, in the end, they ended up buying some anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So um, went got to six. Uh, pretty much as soon as I got there, uh, I got on a trip. So <laughs> it was just trip after trip. The idea was for us to be up there for six months and then and then come back down and, and rejoin the Rio cycle. Um, but yeah, before I knew it, I was on a trip to Afghan, come back, um, then Iraq, and so I just then I was I was on again for um, the next Afghan trip again, and I end up discharging then instead. Why? Why didn't you? Um, why didn't you go? Why didn't you go back? Well, yeah, I um, I finally fit, met my um, my now wife at that stage, and I was like gone for another nine months. It would have been a good trip as well, and. I had a pretty cruisy job. I was down as a CEO's driver, so that would have been uh, interesting. Um, but I think during my period, not only through the Rio cycle, but on deployment, I had a lot of guys in my my platoons that um, broke up with their partners because it is a very demanding job. And that's if, if anyone's thinking about doing the direct entry program, um, huge commitment. It does, yeah, it is a huge commitment. You ne- you're never home, and and you know what the what the job's like, you can turn up on Monday and get told you, you're going away for a couple of weeks and that's about all you can really say. So, yeah. um, a lot of, a lot of relationships finished. Jeez, you're um, just making me want to go I, back I, I there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a single man's <laughs> job. It's, it's good fun. Um, yeah, it is good. yeah, I do miss it now at times, but, um, yeah, my focus has changed. Obviously that yeah. chapter's over. I don't know if the old body can hold up anymore. So, um, one I've got my... my third kid on the way in a couple of months, so I'm, I'm all under the age of four, so I'm pretty busy <laughs> in that regard. One of my um, one of my no best one, one of my yeah. best friends from back 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 then is the CEO next year, and um oh. and, yeah, and I've sort of been toying around with the idea of oh, do I just reach out and go there as like a you know an ops That's major or, or or take a yeah. or, or, or or take a huge amount of um you know, demotions and go back as a platoon commander. Hey, um, yeah. what what was what was it like? What, well, no, how am I going to frame this for you? Six RAR, almost fully qualified commando. Like that's a huge yeah. boom for those guys really. Or did they not see or yeah. did they not understand what it was that they were getting? No, no, they understood all right. Um, as I said, once once I put my hand up and said that on parade, there was about um, eight of us that end up coming up here. Um, and they sort of split us up, put two in each each mm. um, company, and I was lucky enough to go to Delta Company, 6RAR, mm. so that was good. Um, obviously, the most um, decorated company um, for the regular army, so so that was that was very humbling. Yeah, and, for sure. um, Yeah, it's, uh, it was good, and, and they were really good about it too. Like, um, Does that mean you're one of the extra specialists on uh, on Danger Close? Did you get in on that action? I wish I was, but no, oh. I was involved with heavily involved with a footy club at the Gold Coast Suns um, the last few years, so okay. I missed out on that opportunity. I've, ah, shame. I've reached out there to to him to Sean. Yeah. Uh, since yeah, I'm hopefully going, we can get something going. But I'm going to the premiere tonight. I'm looking forward to oh, it. Oh, you lucky bugger! Yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah a few of the guys are. I've talked to here on the coast have been in it. They, they had a good time. I'm hearing amazing reviews from it, so I can't wait to see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a great story. Mm. Like, great that it's out there and the general public can sort of mm. tap into it and mm. get get some knowledge. Yeah, yeah so when I got there to six, they were good. Like, um, we copped a bit on the first couple of nights. Of course, we arrived on, on uh, Sport Thursday, so all the boys are up at the boozer and getting all all lit up, and then they uh, they – I remember we. Um, what's it like we when? What's it like when some <laughs> pissed up six area guy takes on not only a commando but the ex national judo champion? Does that end well for them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I kept that pretty quiet. I sort of just because because I got I got I got put on base as a single bloke, and um, yeah. I joined a bit older in my life, so um, it was interesting. We got in there late that night, and next minute we're having people knocking on challenges. Mm. Sorry, yeah, it had a bloke knock on the door calling me for Aria, I want to challenge you. So I just come out and just had a good laugh and helped him to bed and then <laughs> back inside. But, yeah, no, they, they were really good. The six Aria boys were good. They tapped into us 
um, quite well with our resources. So I have an education background as well. I sort of helped the guys with their um, their urban operations and um, gave them some ideas and some some drills that we used to do. And then uh, those boys went on and ended up winning the Dog Cup, I think, that year. So that, that was they were pretty happy with that. Um, yeah, I think 2006 that might have been. I can't remember. Um, so, yeah, I mean... They were good and they, they were stoked that we were there. And um, as I said, we all got paired up um, between the different companies. And then luckily enough, um, Delta Company got the trip to RTF1 and, and we were there and straight into it. And what was that? That was 2006-07. Yeah, 2006-07. So originally we were mm. meant to go straight after Acolyte down at um, the Com Games. Um, but the base wasn't ready for us, so... We um we went up to Darwin and ended up playing up there for for nearly nine months I think we didn't end up going till September and um yeah so we went there and then then we did about nine months tour to to Afghan and then then back. How was that tour? Um yeah it was it was it was quite good could have been better obviously but um obviously we were the new guys we and um. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And it was end of summer when we got there and then going into winter. So obviously the, the off season really for the fighting. Um, we went up to the mountains a couple of times um, and and out west a few times. But um most of the stuff was around TK at that time, um, probably because the first first couple of roles we went out, we got in a couple of contacts, just sort of minor things. And um, and the CEO at that stage was an engineer CEO, and I think he was a bit bit worried, so they they pulled us in a bit closer to base. So yeah, that, yeah. That I think Todd, Todd Todd Langley one day. Got a bloke, got him a good one, and that um, that sort of put the scare through the CEO, and he pulled us in a bit closer after that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, but other than that, I mean, it was great just to, to get the trip, and um, especially there. I mean, the the real difference between Afghan and Iraq, I think, is I, I felt that we were actually getting some progress in Afghan. You could actually see we're in Iraq. If we went there, they were just fighting each other. They didn't really care. They they just fought anyone. Really complex. Um, where Oh, it is, yeah. Uh, Afghan is is definitely, um, yeah. You could see progression. That's and um, obviously, I didn't get to go back in 2010, but uh, I kind of wanted to, in a way, too, just to sort of see how far it had come in that period of time. Mm. Um, but from what I hear from the boys who went back again, and and obviously the guys down at Holsworthy, there, they've been a fair few times, and and they've kept me up to date with how things are going and yeah definitely eye-opener mm. and um taking the bushmasters i mean I, I was a machine gunner on that trip too so i was up on the front turret which i think after after that trip they decided that was a bit too dangerous and stuck the robots up after that which mm. um geez i one thing i remember from that trip is we're up in the mountains one day and it was snowing obviously and and i was up on a gun with like three layers of gloves on and they had balaclavas and beanies and two pairs of goggles and I actually had to calm down in the end because I could actually feel my eyeballs freezing it was and then they they, they sent the um, temperature gun up and it was minus minus 60 wind chill so it was wow it's a very uh, brisk morning that morning <laughs> yeah for sure yeah no and that's yeah. it and you need that situational awareness don't you if someone up there looking around yeah you know oh yeah so 2010 um, decided to decided to get out, do your own thing. Yeah, decided decided to get out. Um, my now wife is down here at the Gold Coast, and um, the Gold Coast Suns had just sort of started at that stage. So prior to the army, I'd 
I did a little bit of work with Collingwood, Melbourne, Richmond down in, in Victoria and I just applied to them. So, you know, this is what I've done. They were keen to have me on board and I come down to help there. They weren't in the AFL that stage. They were in the VFL the year before and um, got married around that time as well. And then actually while I was at the wedding, um, I was doing some part-time work here on the Gold Coast at a, at a shooting range, being a safety suit. So I still got my little gun fix, which was good. And then, um, yeah, at my wedding, uh, a bloke who come through the um, uh, the direct entry program with me, who yeah stuck with me that whole time. He's he's in my room through Kapuka and end up funny enough a lot. Our last two names are similar, so we end up sticking together pretty much. Uh, even when we got to six RER, they put us in the same platoon and everything. He couldn't get away from the bloke. Um, he hit me up and said, "Oh look, I'm in Port Edland in Western Australia, and I'm making really good money with no." real qualifications after the defence. So if you're looking for work, there's always something here. So come back here for a couple of months and then, um, yeah, my wife, just she's a nurse by trade. So she, she uh, contacted the local hospital and um, that was on a Friday. And then Monday she started work. So we pretty much took a grab bag, jumped on the plane and flew over. And within a couple of days I had a job, um, yeah, for BHP. I uh, worked there for a couple of years and then, and FMG, and then then come back. What were you come doing back with to it? the coast? I did a fair few different jobs. Start off just driving trucks. Um, obviously, with the bush, I had bushmaster ticket, so that crossed over. And then mainly safety and training was was what I stuck with. Right. That was quite good. And I, I, a lot of the guys that in that industry are military as well. And and I just from my experiences, um, my thing was just to try and as a trainer and assessor, just try and get everyone up as qualified as possible. Like mm. The more people we have qualified on every bit of item, as you know, <laughs> um, it's handy. So that was the idea. Did that. That was good fun. It's a tough gig, isn't it, working morning? Um, and- yeah, big hours. I mean, man, we were doing... 12, 14 I was hours. Doing a, yeah, 14-hour days, do a week of days and then a week of nights, then have a week off. You lose, obviously, a couple of days to catch and you sleep back up. At the same time, I started judo club over there. <laughs> I was there. Obviously, just needed something else to do and took that from nothing to um, beginners to within two years, we we were um, oh, one of the top five in the country numbers-wise. I think we had about 150-odd members and, um, yeah, a handful still, of still national going champions now. and Still going? Port Hedland Judo Club still going? Still going, yeah. Great. Yeah, still going now. Yep, pass it on to another guy and then he's since passed it on to another again. But, um, yeah, yeah, we, we always keep in touch and I've gone over there a couple of times and run seminars and that yeah. for him. It's just a bit remote, obviously. It's 2,000K north of Perth. Let's talk judo. Yeah. So you started when you were six. Yeah, good. Oh, look at your face. Well. Just bloody. <laughs> right, let's talk judo. Yeah. Judo and jiu-jitsu. Yep. Six years old, started kicking the crap out of your sisters. The old man went, right, let's get you down to the gym where yeah. you can take out some aggression. Yeah, definitely. First time you realised yep. it was a science, how old we reckon you would have been? Uh, pretty quickly, actually. Hmm. Probably by the end of that first year, I went to my first comp and had no idea at all. Dad was a boxer as a kid, a teenager, but he didn't want me to do that. Um, so, yeah, I remember rocking up to my first lesson and not knowing what judo was at all. Just watched the karate kid. Obviously, that was big around then. Mm. And I rocked up with a bloody karate headband on and the whole lot thinking I was the uh, the next karate kid. And, to be fair, you were six, um, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, Mike shut that down pretty quick. And, um, yeah, then I was lucky. It was just at the end of the street, really. Um, I, I just said I wanted to do something, and mum and dad agreed. I think that was a good idea. I, I was a bit of a short temper when I was a kid, no doubt. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that that was a real real good thing for me. I um, Just with discipline and, and focus. And, um, yeah, I think by that end of that first year, I went into competition and um, oh, I didn't know the rules or anything. And I remember, like, my first fight finished in about 10 seconds and, and I just thought it was like training, so I'm ready to go again. And the referee actually had to come and pick me up and carry me off off the mats because, I, I, yeah, I wanted to keep fighting. But, um, yeah, it is a – look, it's a, it's definitely a game of chess, really. It's, it's a very – Judo and, and BJJ are, are very much a thinker's game. Um, I mean, you can be good at it if you're, a, if you're a great athlete or you're super strong, but really the ones that go far are the, 
other thinkers. Mm. Um, a lot of tactics involved. Uh, and you can see why Jocko Willink talks about it, how it's very similar to the military in that regard where, you know, you're always trying to outflank your opponent or, or set them up. Um, yeah, it's it's why I'm still doing it now, I suppose. It's, it's just, I'm still learning things every day, and that's that's the thing. And you were the, the as I've said a few times during the podcast already, you were the national champion at, uh, what, at 10? No, you would have been 12, 13, 14 years old, 10 years later? Uh, 15, I 15, think. 15 yeah. or 16, yeah, nearly 16, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still remember that morning, clear as day. I was in Canberra, and um, I got up. Six o'clock in the morning, walked out my front door and fell flat on my ass. This was covered in ice. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, shit, this isn't a good start to the day. Um, luckily enough, that was the last time I fell over for the day and I won the title. And um, yeah, and from there, just obviously getting in the national team and traveling a fair bit through Asia and the Pacific and a bit over to Europe. And um, yeah, pretty much did that till I joined joined the army in 2005 and, and aspirations to be in the olympics scott or what was the yeah that so that was the main goal um judo is very competitive in that regard where each country is only allowed to have one player per weight division so um it's yeah it's tough to get into um 2000 i was probably just a little bit too young i was only 19 at that stage um, good training partner back then, Daniel Kelly, made it for the first time. He was two years older than me, so he was 21. And he was probably the youngest in the team. And then 2004, I missed out and was a bit crushed in a way. I was thinking, you know, I've put eight years really to go for it, and that was part of the drive really of me to um, join the defence really. I, I sat down and just sort of said, well, you know, can I do another four years of this and try and make 2008 or, or do I – try and chase a career um, and yeah I, I was always interested in the military in some regard um, mm. I kind of kind of want to be a I think my dad sort of pointed me in the direction of being a policeman mm. um, but after doing a bit of bouncing at clubs and stuff and seeing what they go through I was like oh, I don't know how those boys do it um, how, have yeah, you, and, um, how have you reconciled yeah. how have you reconciled um devoting your life to trying to be an Olympian and then and it's just fate really and time and you yeah. and you were wearing yeah. you were wearing that like I would have been wearing my persona of being tag east, you know, you're like that's who you are. Mm-hmm. I, I am an aspiring Olympian yeah. and then and now you're not. And then suddenly it's the cold light of day and you're like, fuck. How do you reconcile yeah. that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's one thing, not only myself being an athlete and then working for the AFL and seeing guys' careers and I think even in the military, I think that's one of the issues that guys have when they get out is a lot of the time what they've always wanted to be is being cut short, not on their decision. It's normally, you know, for medical reasons or, or something like that. It's, it's being taken out of their hands and I think that's where a lot of guys really struggle mentally is like, as you said, that's that's who you've always wanted to be and that's who you think you are and then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. So was SF, um, was SFDRS then that um, a door to being able to reinvent yourself and give yourself a new purpose? Yeah, mm. exactly. It was, it's pretty much giving me a new focus um, and again, it was that elite level stuff because I've, I've been used to being at that elite level for so long and I thought, well, this is this sounds exactly the type of challenge that that I could that I could focus on because I like I've always remember since getting the first year of high school I said to my maths teacher one day that they said to describe yourself and I said love's a good challenge both mentally and physically that's that's what I said to him then and that was at a 12 year old I suppose at that stage so yeah when when I saw that program and that's when I just thought well yeah this this is exactly down my line of of thinking and um, I'll give that a real old crack and then when that was over um, I've now just again put my focus on to coaching really and, and getting um, these athletes up to the elite level and, and then trying to help them with their goals so we're, so, so we're at the third life of, of Scott's deer <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah third chapter third yeah. major chapter nice um, and so let's talk yeah so with regards to veteran grappling What's the sort of overview of that? What was your idea behind it and, and, and where is it going? 
Yeah, so as I said, I've always had a coaching sort of focus and background. I was lucky enough to sort of start when I was about 15. Once I won that national title, my coach was good enough to start getting me to get involved in that regard. And then um, probably the last... 12 months or so funny enough since i started um got exposed to jocko willink's podcast and his books um and how he's got similar train of thought to myself and just listening to his podcast about um how bjj has been real helpful for him and and some other ex-workmates while i was at the footy club uh, being the, the tackling grappling coach there I started looking up statistics just from a scientific point of view about um, how it helps people not only physically but but on the mental front. And I came across a couple of articles about um, some companies in the US who had uh, implemented a similar program and, and how they were having profound effect on, on the veterans especially. And given veterans an alternative treatment other than, than medication, obviously, which is what I believe a Band-Aid. So from there, that just sort of sparked my interest and I just find, start finding more and more and more. And then I had a major operation at the start of the year. And, and while I was recovering, I, again, I listened to another podcast of Jocko's. He, he's actually interviewed a Vietnam veteran who, who spent six years in a prison. And one of the things I really got out of that was his motto in the end is, if not me, then who? At that time, I was like, geez, it would be nice if someone in Australia had a program like this running because I think there's a need for it. And there's enough guys that I know internally through, through the, the scene that are veterans and, and they keep saying to me like how good it's helped them. So from that, I just thought, well, yeah, well, somebody's going to do it. It might as well be me. And I just started hitting up my connections um, through, through professional sport and through the medical departments. And um, they thought it was a great idea and they just jumped on board. And, and then from there, it's just snowballed. That's very awesome. rapidly <laughs> and um and here we are you know week out from from the opening pretty much and everyone's jumping on board and helping out which is great i've seen the grand the grand opening third of august running sheet it's going to be a pretty impressive day i've been i've been trying to get yeah been trying to get my mate uh paul kale there um yeah we'll see how we go he's hard to get a hold of at the moment they're running a course up yeah and, he is they're running a course <laughs> up in darwin but if we don't get there for the grand opening we will get there at some point some stage yeah and so where is it where is it located uh so it's at the north end of the gold coast um it's in uh Molendina, which is close to griffith uni it's pretty much the next suburb across or where the, the new hospital is that's up that end there's nothing really well there's nothing like that in australia to be honest yeah it's good for me i live close by and it's short, I suppose, 50-minute drive to Inogra Barracks as well, which I've been up there building a relationship with those guys at the moment to try and link the um, current serving and, and veteran communities together in the in the grappling sort of stages, um, try and build that relationship. And again, so that when the guys do decide to leave, they've, they've got a social group they can connect to and they can carry on some of those skills that they've picked up from from Paul and the boys down there. What sort of styles will you have through veteran grappling? Will it be BJJ and judo, um, I assume? Yeah, they're probably the focus because um, that's what I'm qualified in at the moment. Obviously, um, I think just because of the, the thinking nature of it um, and the striking arts, we've got guys who, who are involved that are qualified in that. So if some people want to concentrate on that, that's fine. But we just find that in the grappling art, you're, you're against each other. It's controlled. No, it's very minimal chance of really getting hurt. Um, so we, we think the benefits of that are a lot better. It's a lot safe, safer, um, a lot less demanding on the body in, in mm. like impact sort of injuries. And is yeah. it, it gi or no gi? Uh, we do them both. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's good to do both. Um, there's, as you know, they're different games, so um, it's good to keep everyone thinking. And yeah, so we we offer both. Um, once the opening ceremony, yeah, we'll be running some sort of activity six days a week. So we plan on having um, a bit of yoga, um, couple of days of grappling. We've even got a hydrotherapy pool that we've got access to mm. um so there'll be something on each day for for veterans to do which would be good and how's the business 
the business work? Yeah, we've made a not-for-profit. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, just to sort of... So it's a not-for-profit business? Yeah. Okay. So at the moment, I'm running out of a mate's gym. Uh, I've got a mate who's who's got a gym set up, so I don't have facilities myself at the moment. So he's helped out in that regard by giving me a head start of just saying you can use this anytime you want for your program. Um, we scheduled around. Um, it's not yet, so it's not for profit. That's, that's the idea. I want just everything back for the veterans. That's the whole point. Um, I'm not in it to make money. I'm just out there to try and help out and, and further my knowledge and, um, and pass it on to, to these guys. That's cool. the idea. And and you're also the um, Judo Queensland men's coach, right? Yeah, I was a men's coach this year and the strength and conditioning coach as well for the whole team. Yeah, right. Um, we had 140 competitors at the Nationals a couple of weeks ago. Cool. Team did really well. We've got a couple of guys that are a really good chance to go to the Olympics next year. Mm. So um, they're off to the world titles next month um, in Taipei. And what is Australian so, future judo coach? What is that? Futures, yeah. So that's for the up-and-coming age group, so from 12 to sort of 15-year-olds. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so we just call it futures. It's like mm. a bit of a talent identification program. Get them in. We get them down to um, Canberra a couple of times a year and through the institute there. I normally run the sports science sort of briefs for them and tell them what they expect when they get to the you know, the elite level and we we have all sorts of people coming and doing nutrition diets and how to cut weight properly and, um, yeah, it's a good educational sort of program. We do that a couple of times a year. With with judo, do you think it helped your combat mindset? Yeah, definitely. From being a, um, do you think people are born with a combat mindset or do you think, or from from your opinion, have you seen that it can be developed over time? I think it can easily be developed over time. Mm. It's just your environment that you're raised in, I suppose. Mm. I think guys who have been involved with martial arts, especially the traditional styles and predominantly Japanese, I think just with their military style, the way they run things, I think it makes it a lot easier Mm. for guys to to develop that combat mindset, Mm. especially in today's society, lack of discipline, Mm with the generation at the moment. I so, don't know whether it's because I'm nearly 40 that <laughs> I'm starting to think that. But um, from what I've seen, oh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the facts behind it. But to me, I think, you know, back even when I was a kid, your teachers could discipline you, your, the police could discipline you, your parents even did. And now it's very rare that anyone can really step in and, and discipline without some sort of restrictions. Mm. So, yeah, I think just some, like all things, some bad people have ruined it for the rest. Um, Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think that's part of the issue. I think, well, we've talked about suicide awareness and everything. I think the numbers might be a bit bigger, not only in the veteran community, but I think in society in general, and I think that has a lot to do with the way this generation is. Mentally resilient this could be questionable. Mm. Yeah, is it is it to do with the discipline? Is who, it who would it's, have thought? It's a whole other topic. I think. Who would have thought that mental resilience is not only being immersed to arduous activities, building frames of reference over and over, but it's also linked to a higher emotional intelligence and empathy, which you can only really gain from being able to practice and learn communication skills. Um, we think. Right, so we think mental resilience is just about being a tough prick, but actually it's not only yeah. about being tough, it's about, about being able yeah, to verbalise the fact that you're uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. And yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think that my combat mindset was was honed from, and, and I did, uh, my introduction to, to martial arts was Kodakan Judo as a, as a kid with, um, with a friend of mine, Sam Townsend, who used to hand me my ass all the time, and then we used to... <laughs> And he used to get me an arm. He was a lot better than I was. But, um, but, you know, I took that into that idea into the army. And then when we were doing drill and things like that, well, that wasn't foreign to me because I'd practiced things. I knew how to practice things 10,000 times. I'd done it before. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and then, and then in special forces it was really similar. It's like, you know, if you want to put – 
if you want to put a piece of lead out of a pistol into a into a black dot at 25 meters well you don't just walk up and do that you've got to break all those movements down into component parts and practice it over and over and over again and there's a certain discipline required to do that now i'm a conservative i don't lord the day where people stopped bashing recruits and where people you're like i don't i don't want those days back you know and and, I, and nah. the same as i don't want my six you know my six-year-old and my nine-year-old beaten by the police or the teachers but having said that <laughs> I, but having said that it comes with the responsibility for guys like you and me to develop kids to have self-discipline so that they don't yeah. so they don't so they're exercising that and not having it imposed on them which is probably even worse for their mental health to be fair um i know some yeah. people will argue with that but you know whatever um guess what parents start parenting you know <laughs> yeah stop but, looking yeah. at your phone <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly and what about um you know what about optimization so human optimization self self hacks um things that you've picked up over the years where you've gone this is a great way to, to build this you know this mental toughness or this is a great way to build fitness fast or this is a great way to yeah what are you what are some of your sort of self-hacks that you've developed yeah so as an athlete like the big thing for me was um i would train ridiculous hours and i'd never stop i'd always try and make everything a, a challenge and um There'd be times where I suppose I look back now and people would probably think, well, there's no way I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and ride 50 k's on a bike or, you know, before work or before school or, or I'd do four hours worth of training at night and then I'd go for a 6K run and try and do it as quick as I possibly can at the end of it. Like I would always envisage in myself, like I suppose those moments of weakness when you think, oh, I've had enough, I want to, want to finish i'd be like well if i do this i'm guaranteed my number one rival is not doing this right this moment so i'm getting that extra bit on him so i was always about pushing the boundaries and just yeah just trying to take it as far as i could and i think it really helps with my coach mike um having that military background Mm. um and he he did some combined forces stuff in vietnam with the us and 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 the palms and stuff and yeah he was real big on just just keep pushing, keep doing no matter how hard it is. And there'd be times with the run, even like I'd just be thinking, okay, I've got like two Ks to go. This is my gold medal fight. I just need to, you know, if I really want it, I need to really push and mm. I'd try and just, you know, nearly end up sprinting it in the end yeah. <laughs> um, where I could be, I suppose for a general people, they would be like, oh no, I've done enough. Yeah. I'll pull the pin now, you know, um, concentrate on recovery. And I think, the big thing with that was that it made it easier for when I when I did join the army was that um, uh, always prepare for the worst case scenario. That was the thing. So competition wise, if the fights go five minutes, that's time on and time off not included. So your fight could go for fifteen minutes. So you need to be able to last at least fifteen minutes. And then normally you only have a ten minute break and then you're up again. And you could have six, seven fights in one day. Um, it's not like the UFC where you have one fight and that's it. You don't have to worry about it for another three or six months. Do you have another one? So you could end up with anywhere between three to 12 fights in a day. Very taxing. I think that was a big difference when I grew up with my coach compared to one of the other big coaches in Victoria. He was all about technique. He said, if your technique's not good enough to win in the first minute of the fight, then you, you're not good enough. Yeah, smart man. Um where, as I said, my coach was just like, that's like shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's always someone bigger and better out there than you. You need to be able to prepared to be able to go yeah. Yeah. above and beyond. As soon and as I you said that, trans- as soon as you said that, I was like, <laughs> that guy's not ha- had many successful fighters come out of that gym. He, he, like, look, he was a European guy. He was a very good player in his day. He had really good technique. Um, the day he retired, uh, Daniel Kelly, the UFC fighter, Daniel Kelly beat him for the gold medal and Daniel would have been about 19 at that stage. And then we never saw the guy again. He went back to Europe. Um, Daniel was like myself, just, uh, it's all about just being able to push to the end. Yeah. 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 You know, when you were saying about, you know, the the sort of training that you were doing the six K run after the workout. So you reminded me of, you know, um, Lance Armstrong before he, before he was found out to be a drug cheat, was was a, was a hero was a hero was a hero of mine, and he once yeah. said, he once said I train every New Year's Day because my yeah. because my um, competitor 
you know, my rival isn't. And so back in back when I used to train, you know, all through summer down in Adelaide there, down in, you know, it'd be a 42 degree day and there'd be no one out and I'd go for a 5K, yeah. 5K run up in the hills exactly. because I know someone else isn't yeah. doing that out there. And, you know, if it, and even now today, you know, like if, if a massive storm comes up on the West Coast and everyone's like bunk, bunkering down and it's blowing a gale out there, I'm like, well... Yeah. That's perfect. That's training for me. Yeah. That's the day I'm it's out It's even there. better training. Yeah. It's even better training. Because yeah. as you know, especially mm. with military style, mm. every time you go outfield, it's going to be pissing down rain anyway. So <laughs> you might as yeah. well get used to it. Yeah. And, and you know, I get to the stage now where you, you know, I mean, you, you and I, are, you know, you're, you're nearly the same age as I am, right? We're, we're, you know, we're the 40, you know, I'm, I'm five years older than you, so I'm 45, right? Yeah. And, and so I look at it as bloody hell. I've only got 20 or 30, if I'm lucky, years left where I can just go, oh, okay, it's 42 degrees? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Watch this 10K. Exactly. You know, or it's blowing a gale and it's hailing. Well, I'm going for a ride, you know. And people people used to say to me, oh, you're insane for going for a ride in that, you know, or you're insane for running in that heat, you know. And I I rode 50 kilometres once in 60 degrees in, in, in Dubai. Yeah. You know, around the, around yeah. the track there. And, and honestly, oh, I hurt myself doing it. But as David Goggins says, you know, some of us have to be bloody savages because yeah. we can't leave the whole of humanity to, to the rest, you know. Yeah, that's right. And I like the fact that I, you saw your fitness as an extension of the art of fighting because, yeah, you know, it, it is skillful. And, and, you know, I talked to JJ about this a bit, you know, about that he – I mean, he's got techniques now where he can – he can do things like he he can wrist lock you with his thighs when he gets you into a position <laughs> and your hand goes somewhere and he will wrist lock you with his leg, you know, or his, yeah. you know. And the thing he taught me was control the head and neck. If if nothing yeah. else, just learn to control the other person's head and neck, which I think is a, a great bit yeah. of advice for young players, you know. But he he sees fitness. People don't realise how fit that guy is, you know. He's a, yeah, he's a big guy exactly. and he moves like a, a lot younger person, but he's also extremely fit. Um, yeah. And he works on it. He works on it and people don't see that. Uh, yeah, I think Mike being my mentor, I think like he's he's well into his 70s now and he's still on the mat, still cleaning everyone up. Um, and, you know, I, geez, I'd be stoked if I got like that when I was his age. I'm hoping that I'm still able to do that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um I got a few injuries from the army, but mm. I'm still pushing through and still getting on there. And that's my one of my long term goals is to be able to do that till pretty much the day I die. How long will it take you to get these? If someone walks in off the street, veteran comes in, starts training with you two or three times a week, what's their glide path look like? And this is the thing I talked to JJ about this, you know, Paul Kale about black belts, right? Yep. And and the belt being, it's in this day and age, it's one of a few things where someone can truly aspire and see something for their effort at the end of it. There's very few things yeah. like that now in this world of instant fucking gratification. Yeah, you know, exactly. And devoting yourself to something. I mean, we're not talking about CrossFit handstand walk here. Right? Yeah. You're, talk, you're yeah. talking about a, a black belt in, a, in, a, in an ancient Japanese discipline, really. So what's the, yeah. what's the glide path look like for, for someone like that? Are we talking two, two yeah. years, three um, years? It depends on the individual, obviously. Uh, for me, for judo wise, I can pretty much for anyone who's interested, I can I can get them up to green belt reasonably quickly. If they're doing three times a week, that that would probably take you know a couple of years to get to. The good thing about that is that actually qualifies them to do all the big tournaments in Australia. So if they're if they're competition minded, um, but what our program is set up to do is we're trying to get it into Warrior and Invictus Games. Um, it's really big in the world, military games, judo. Um, I was selected during my time to go, but I ended up going to Afghan instead. Uh, that was that was in India that year, which would have been interesting. And that is one of the top five judo tournaments in the world, that one. It's yeah. highly competitive. Um, not like the Olympics where you can have one from each country. You can pretty much, I think you can have three from each each country in each division. Um, so it's a massive tournament. Nothing currently at the moment for judo or BJJ in, in Warrior and Invictus Games. And that's what we're trying to, for me, from a, a coach and, a, and an athlete perspective, and then as also as a veteran, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get that in the next couple of years just yeah. to get some sort of thing in. Cool. I've been doing work in the background with 
is the national bodies and they're keen to be involved and talked about supplying the referees and the tournament control and everything. So if not, um, the guys I've been talking to in the US, Canada and and the UK, we're keen to just have our own little session going and and getting everyone involved. But I think we could rapidly get guys up to speed for that sort of thing, for, for for that level. Yeah, cool. um, you know, if, if they want to be international competitor <laughs> on the main scene, it's, it's going to take a lot more work, obviously. But I think for that, it's not all about winning medals. It's all about just yeah. getting the body moving and being learning self-confidence and building your you know, resilience up and a bit of self-defense and fitness, obviously. Yeah. Because um, not everyone likes throwing the, the weights around. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. So you're talking, they can go in there, they can be competitive in a couple of years, it can probably be a green belt in a couple of years um, yep. on, on the glide path to attaining that black belt, you know, standard standards usually six to eight years, isn't it, depending on the Yeah, person. yeah, um, depending on how often they're training and everything. But um, our program we've got here with, with judo and BJJ working off each other, the idea is that when we've got a, a veteran that comes in and signs on, they'll, they'll be signed up with both judo and, and BJJ. So then they've got the option of grading or competitions or, oh, that's cool. or whatever. I that's, like that. that's all covered. Yeah. All covered by the program. So yeah, yeah it gives them the option. So why not everyone's into competing? Some people just want to grade or some people just want to roll around. It doesn't yeah. really matter. So if you're in the, if you're in the Brisbane or Gold Coast area, and you're listening to this, and you don't have to be a veteran, or you do have to be a veteran. Come along. Uh, you do have to be a veteran to okay. for the veteran grappling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But for for the open day, open day, anyone can come along. Um, yep. As I said, I'm I'm working out of a mate's gym, so he's got his own stuff on the on the side going at that same gym, so that that's open to any any civilian to go in. But um, the idea is, yeah, we'll leave it open to everyone on the day because we're going to have raffles and. And um, a few things, a bit yeah. of fundraising and stuff for the veteran community. Cool. And so, what, what's the address that they need to, and what time and everything on the 3rd of August? Yeah, so it's uh, Unit 4, 33 Expansion Street in uh, Molendina, kicking off at 10 o'clock. Michael from Red Six will be there early. He's going to set up some stuff. Um, another veteran. Dan Smith's going to have his, his coffee shop there. So, um, yeah, then we'll kick on the mats probably about 11. Mm. Then we'll, we'll have our guest instructors. We've got a couple of UFC fighters, um, mm. judo, BJJ, mm. and then a couple of uh, self-defense guys who are veterans as well. Mm. So if you have a look on our Facebook page, you'll see what's coming up. And um, the ones that are highlighted in yellow, I don't know if I'll put it on there clear enough, um, they're actually veterans. So we've, we've got mm. a couple of veterans in each sort of discipline or style that are going to come along. And any um, yeah. any special Victoria Cross guests going to be there that people might want to come and see? Or do you want, don't want to say uh, that? We're, we're trying. We're trying to, trying to reach out to them, but they're pretty busy themselves, the Aren't boys. They? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're trying. We'll just see. I might edit that out because you might get 20,000 people there. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, that, that's awesome. Scott Steer, I want to thank you very much for being a guest on the Warrior You podcast, mate. You're, you're a gentleman. I, I, I thank you for... You know, thank you for your service, but um, you know, I always cringe when I hear that. But you know, well done on well done on what you've achieved prior to army, and then I think you know what speaks volumes to me of your humility is the fact that you went through SFDRS. You actually got through that. You were in the unit, sustained an injury. You were only meant to go away for a little time, and then you know your your loyalties ended up being in six RAR, and you and you didn't go chasing that just for the sake of chasing it back down in the unit. And I think yeah. that, that speaks volumes of of your humility, mate. Um, because they would have taken you back with open arms. You know that means volumes to me. And and then you left in two thousand ten, and you just chased up other stuff, you know, and and <laughs> made a new life for yourself. So you know, kudos to you. I hope it's a great success. Veteran grappling grand opening third of August on the Gold Coast. Thank you. If I can, if yeah. I can, if I can get Paul Exciting to get times. there, I'll, I'll let Paul know about it and see if JJ can get there. And um, he's always yeah. he's always fun to roll around with, mate. You might enjoy that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's a strong bugger. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, thanks very much, man. All the best. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Keep in touch. Righto. Let me just wrap a few things up before I go. I just want to let you know that I'm teamed up with Patreon. This is so that you can donate assistance to the podcast. Obviously, putting all this together each week does come at a financial and a time cost. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can head to www.patreon.com forward slash warrior you. 
and you can throw in whatever you feel like. It's greatly appreciated. And there are some cool giveaways on the site too for different tiers of sponsorship. So please check it out. Um, thanks to my newest patron, Patreon donator, Marcus, for the $5 a month. Cheers, brother. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm just amazed that anyone's actually listening to the podcast at the end here to even go to Patreon. But obviously you did, so cheers, man. Um, right, and finally, just to end the show, this week the podcasts I've personally listened to have been as follows. I've listened to the Rich Roll podcast. It was a really great one with his dad. It was, um, was worth listening to. The Jocko Willick podcast, of course, and I listened to How I Work by Mantha Imber. Righto, thanks everyone. And remember, live a life worth living. Catch you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 